We're so honored that you joined us for this week's message here at Hope Church in Kalispell, Montana. Our hope is that you will be encouraged and challenged in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed as you listen to this week's message. Hey, we are so glad to be with you today. Pastor, thanks for this opportunity to speak. Uh, my name is Jeff Crowder. I'm here with my wife, Tracy. She's the beautiful one in the front row. I, I, I love my daughters too, but I mean, she's, the, well, she's my wife, all right? She's, she's, she's pretty awesome. And uh, we're here with our seven children. We moved here from Iowa in September of last year, right in the middle of COVID. How many know that's a fun time to move, right? And uh, we came to Montana, and it's been awesome. Uh, so it was the seven of, well, it was the nine of us, my wife, our seven kids, our two dogs. In January, we moved Grandma in with us from Illinois. And uh, let's see, and about a week ago, we moved Oreo the hamster in. And so there you go. That's a little bit about what our family looks like. It is crazy in the neighborhood. I'm sorry, Stillwater Estates. Um, we live over by Pastor Dave and them. And I'll tell you what, you swing by our house anytime and it, there's a whole lot of crazy going on. It's just the way it is when you got a big household. We'd make quite the reality show. He'd love us or hate us, but I want guarantee you one thing, we would not be boring, that's for sure. So I am excited for the opportunity to speak. Pastor Lance, uh, we've, it's been fun to get to know him a little bit and he asked me to share my testimony. I was a pastor for uh, 21 years we've pastored, and uh, that's been quite the journey. And so my struggle is I haven't had an opportunity to speak like this in front of people for over a year now. And uh, I'm like, man, I want to preach. I like to just dig into the Word and take a section and let's just go after it, you know. And he says, share your testimony. I'm 46. Guys, we're going to be here for a while. Thank you, Pastor Lance, for taking the time constraints off wherever you're at. That is awesome. No, I'm just kidding. We won't be here that long. I've kind of condensed it down, and I'm going to try to do this high hybrid, share my testimony, preach a little bit. But what I really believe is that God wants to speak to us today. Do you believe that today? So let's just jump in and just pray. Heavenly Father, we pray your anointing on this service today. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. God, like it is our habit, we pray over our nation right now. We just, Lord, invite you to do what you want to do in the United States of America turn the hearts of our leaders towards you. May they guide unto your wisdom, Lord. Father, for those of us in this room here today, Lord, I pray that you would deliver the word for each individual that you would have them to hear. Holy Spirit, we invite you in. We're listening. We're listening to what you have for us today. And we thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. The year was 1999. I was living in Illinois, and I hit the jackpot, folks. I did not win the Illinois State Lottery. I don't play. We didn't have all the casinos like you do here, so I didn't go there. But I did hit the jackpot because I got Miss Tracy to say that she would marry me. So that was pretty awesome. We ran off and eloped. That was a lot of fun. I, I got no regrets about that whatsoever. And uh, we just started off on this awesome journey of newly 
wed life, you know, just pursuing what God had for us in our lives, and that was super cool. We decided right away we didn't want to have a bunch of kids right off the bat. You know, some people, they get pregnant right away. That was not our plan. Our plan was to wait a couple years. We are going to spend a couple years just doing the fam or the couple thing, you know, just doing life together, hanging out. We did spend a lot of time together. We worked together. We still work together. We've spent years working together, and that's a good thing for marriage people, by the way. You know, maybe not vocation-wise, but you should work with your spouse. And anyways, that's a different thing. This is not a marriage lesson here. And, and if it was, I wouldn't be the guy to give it. I'm just saying. <laughs> but we worked together running a bed and breakfast inn located in Galena, Illinois. A six-bedroom touristy type thing. It was a lot of fun. We met lots of cool people, and we were enjoying life together as newlyweds. And then something happened. Something unexpected. We became parents. Parents of a teenage boy, mind you. How does that happen? Well, my wife, when she was 15, her father passed away. And she had a little brother who was eight at the time. And so she uh, also had a mom who ended up having, after her dad died, a brain aneurysm. And it didn't leave her the same. And so she was having a really difficult time raising this awesome, rebellious teenage boy. And so she called us up and said, hey, uh, I don't know what to do anymore. And so he came to live with us, and we became uh, parents of a teenage boy named John. I think I got a photo here. Maybe, there we are. These are one of those photos, you look back in your photos, and like, oh my gosh, we can't leave this up here too long. I don't like to look at this. <laughs> I'm dated. everything's changed a lot for the better, I believe. Uh, it's got the Olin Mills thing. That's one of those uh, church directory things. Ever have one of those done? They show up at your church trying to sell you pictures, you know? We're going to do this for a directory. It'll be free directory. No, they want your money, I'm just telling you four of those beautiful pictures. So we started off life with a teenager, and we had John with us for quite some time until he went off to Trinity Bible College in North Dakota. There he met this beautiful young lady from Montana, and she took him off our hands permanently. Praise the Lord. <laughs> John is here some today, buddy. I don't know where you're at, but I love you, man. It was all good. It was all good. Well, now we no longer had a teenager, and something happened. We had this desire now to have children kind of the old-fashioned way. You know, like, get pregnant, start with, you know, babies, work our way in the toddlerhood and childhood and up, in, up into the teenage years. And so we started to pursue that, you know, and it was a lot of fun trying to get pregnant. But the problem was, is we never got pregnant. Never got pregnant. To this day, we've never been pregnant. See, that was a desire that was so strong on our hearts to have children. And we, we experienced infertility for a long time. We, we went through the whole testing things and, you know, and took all the stuff that you can take and never got pregnant. We prayed and prayed and prayed and sought God. Never got pregnant. And it became a desire in our heart that grew and grew and grew. We had people come to our church and prophesied over us. You're going to get pregnant. I had no idea that we were wanting to have children. You're going to get pregnant and have children. And this guy prophesied, I'm going to come back next year and dedicate your child. Well, that didn't happen because we had no child. Can I just tell you something? Imagine if that's you. That stings. That hurts. We had this strong desire in our hearts. A desire that we believed was put there by God. 
My wife's absolute favorite verse of all time is Psalms 37, 4. It says that if we take delight in the Lord, he will give us the desires of our heart. We delighted in God. We loved him. We thought with all of our hearts, why are we not seeing this desire of our heart fulfilled? God, aren't you true to your promises? What's going on, God? And year after year, we weren't getting pregnant. Trips down to the pharmacy, buying the little sticks. You know what I'm talking about. We never got enough lines. We were never getting pregnant. It just wasn't happening. And it was kind of devastating. The Bible is full of people just like you and I. Do you know that? There's a story in 1 Samuel chapter 1 of a woman named Hannah. She so desperately wanted to have a baby. She was married to a guy named Elkanah. I think he was one brave cat. He had two wives. <laughs> she had a sister wife. There was another one named Penina, and she was the mean girl wife. And I'm not just making that up. The Bible tells us that she would give Hannah a hard time all the time because Hannah wasn't having a baby. She wasn't pregnant. And she would just kind of be that bully wife. So... I want us to look at that. First Samuel chapter 1, verse 6, it kind of tells us the story. It says, so Penina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Penina would taunt Hannah as they would go to the tabernacle, and each time Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not eat. Tracy and I know Hannah's pain. In a room this size, I'm pretty confident that there are some people in here that know that exact same pain. I'm pretty confident that there's some people in this room today, you've struggled with infertility, you've had a desire to have children and it hasn't been happening and maybe you know what it's like to even be like Tracy and I and like Hannah, where year after year you've gone, year after year has passed and still no pregnancy, test after test and still no pregnancy. It hurts. It really hurts when people start talking trash. Imagine having a sister wife named Penina who's always taunting you and bringing you to the place of tears. We actually had people in our life who spoke hateful things over us, told us we were cursed because we weren't having children. Carry that around. That hurts. It's devastating. There was this time, you know, Akana saw what was going on, the husband, and, you know, he was like most of us men. We always just try to, like, intervene and make our wives feel better and fix things. Guys, there's some things we can't fix. Verse 8, <laughs> this dude says, hey, baby, wouldn't I be better than having ton, 10 sons? Why are you crying? You got me. Stupid. <laughs> the guy's just an idiot, but I've been one of those idiots. How many of y'all ever know what I'm talking about? We've been that guy before. And she wasn't having children. And there's this time she's outside the tabernacle and she's grieving and anguish and weeping and pouring her heart out to God in prayer. And the Bible tells us that the priest saw her. His name was Eli. And Eli saw his hand outside the, the tabernacle weeping and crying. And he starts to rebuke her because he thinks she's coming to the church wasted. <laughs> What's this woman doing? You know, she's been drinking. What's going on? And he confronts her about it and she responds to him. And this is what it says in verse 16. She says, don't think I'm a wicked woman for I've been praying out of great anguish and sorrow. In that case, Eli said, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked of him. Oh, thank you, sir, she exclaimed. Then she went back and she began to eat. And she was no longer sad. 
That stands out to me. Because she goes from this place of great anguish to being no longer sad and able to eat. There was like something switched. And I'm here to tell you today that I believe what happened is just she got the right word at the right time in the right season from a man of God. And it made all the difference in the world. Hope was restored in here. Listen, I'm going to tell you today, this is my hope and prayer for you is that today the Lord through his Holy Spirit in me as his messenger up here today would speak the right word to somebody at the right moment in this message today and something would just switch inside of you where there wasn't hope and all of a sudden hope would be restored in your life today. That's my desire for us here today. So the Bible goes on and tells the story and it says in verse 19 to 20 it says the entire family got up the next morning they went to worship once more they returned to Ramah and while Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea. And in due time, she gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel. For she said, I asked the Lord for him. The Lord had remembered Hannah's plea. You see, I believe the Lord was there all along. Every time she was grieving. Every time she wasn't getting pregnant. Every time she felt that devastating anguish when her desire of her heart wasn't being met. God was there and in due time he intervened. He saw her and he answered her prayer and he met the desire of her heart. Tracy always wanted to be a foster mom. Part of that has to do with her history and some of the stuff that she had to go through. And she also wanted to adopt kids and then she married this guy. I was not interested. No, thank you. But I didn't want to have kids. I wanted precisely a boy and a girl, and we call it two and done. The perfect little family. Oh, God's got a sense of humor, folks. Let me tell you. Wanted the perfect little family. So we started praying for this child, and eventually, listen what God did. Two years after we pursued foster care. Well, let me tell you, God, first of all, had to get a hold of me. So you know how that worked? My wife didn't nag me. She was smarter than that. You know what she did? She prayed for me. And she prayed a very specific prayer. You ready? It was basically a three-word prayer, she tells me. Get him, God. That was it. Get him, God. And do you know God got me? He has a way of doing that. I saw this video on these orphans and it absolutely wrecked me. I couldn't sleep for a week. Finally, I still remember rolling over in bed at, at 1620 Romberg Avenue, Dubuque, Iowa. I mean, I remember it. The little brick ugly house. You know? I remember rolling over and I said, honey, I think we're supposed to do this. We're, what? we're supposed to have foster children. We're supposed to adopt our kids. And so we set out in pursuit of what that process looked like. And two years later, God brought this little special boy into our life named Stephen who needed a mommy and daddy. And we got to adopt our first child, Stephen. There he was. That's what Stephen was wearing the day we met him. That same outfit. He was such a cute boy. Now stand up, Stephen. Oh, he's going to hate me for this. <laughs> Look at how much that boy has changed over the years. Wow. He's not no little dude anymore. Some time went by. You can sit down. Thanks, buddy. Some time went by, and Tracy had this desire for a baby girl. Now, I told you I wanted a boy and a girl, but at that point, I was kind of like freaked out a little bit. Like the thought of having another child, you know, that kind of like, 
I don't know if I can handle this. Will I be a good dad? Will I be a good provider? All this stuff just, whoo. I was talking to a soon-to-be father here yesterday, and he's like, oh, so that's normal? Yep, that's normal. I can tell you that's very normal. And, uh, but I was kind of freaked out about it. So I was like, hey, I'm good. One kid, that's fine. I got a boy, that's all good. But man, it was really on Tracy's heart to have a baby girl too. And so that desire just lingered. And, and again, we weren't getting pregnant and we didn't have any foster children in our home. And it didn't seem like there was any way that this was going to come about. And time went by again and nothing seemed to be happening at all. And I remember one time, Tracy was just, she just, it was weighing on her heavy. She just really wanted a baby girl. So we prayed. And the next day I was having coffee with a friend. And I'll never forget the phone call. It was a human services worker. And she said, hey, Jeff, I was just curious. By any chance, would you and Tracy be interested in adopting a baby girl? She's a beautiful, healthy little girl, just four weeks old. And she needs a home. I said, absolutely. We've been through this process with, with Stephen, and there's all this paperwork that's involved, and they go about, they look through about 50 different families, weed it down to about three families, interview those three families, and then pick one. I said, we'd love to be considered for that. She said, talk to Tracy about it. I said, you don't understand. I don't need to talk to Tracy about it. We just prayed about this. You're an answer to our prayer, this phone call right here. She said, in that case, we're just going to place her with you. Hey, baby, we're having a baby. <laughs> That's awesome. I tell you, we've met a lot of caseworkers over the years, and they tell us that that never, ever happens. But can I tell you something? God doesn't play by the rules. He'll do whatever he wants to do, however he wants to do it. And we were able to adopt our Sarah Grace. I think that's Sarah on adoption day. She got that pretty little dress on, and she liked hearty cinnamon rolls. So that was our celebration breakfast after her adoption. So there we go. Listen, I want to tell you something today. The same God that heard Hannah's hearts cry is the same God that heard our hearts cry. The same God that resurrected Hannah's hopes and dreams was the same God that gave life to our dead dreams. Hear me today. Our God never changes. He's still resurrecting hopes and dreams to this day. He still brings dead dreams back to life. Our God is still at work in the lives of his people. Aren't you glad for it today? That's why I'm titling this message still. You see, sometimes you got like four or five points. I got one point today, and it's this, still, my title. That's it. That's all I want you to leave here with. I want you to walk through your day, and no matter what you're going through, you can say, still God, still Jesus. He's still at work. He still loves me. He still cares about me. He's still doing something. Still. That's the whole point of this message. But I got a lot more words to share with you, so hold on. Listen, I don't know what you've been out, crying out to God for. Maybe you've been crying out for a long time for something that he's placed on your heart. There's been a desire that's so strong there. A hope or a dream that is inside of you that you believe is a God-given hope or dream. And it seems like it's just growing dim. Maybe it even seems like it's dead to this day. I don't know what it is, but I want to tell you something. Just like God remembered Hannah, and just like he remembered Jeff and Tracy, he still remembers you today. He still sees you today. Don't lose heart, person out here today that needs this word. Don't lose heart. Listen to me. He still has a plan. 
Do you know that our God still works all things together for good of those that love him? He is still an active God. If you don't see him working, listen, that doesn't mean he's not working. He's still working on your behalf today. Man, I hope you get that today. I hope that sinks into your spirit. Our God is a faithful God and he's still at work. So we had our little boy, we had our little girl, and when Stephen was four and Sarah was 18 months, we made our first trip to Montana. It was to perform the wedding for John, you know, our oldest, wherever he is. He's hiding, I think, because of that picture. <laughs> he came today. He doesn't usually attend here every Sunday, but he came. But I don't, I don't think he wants you to see that Winnie the Pooh tie he was wearing. So... Anyways, we went and we were able to perform his wedding. It was an absolute great, you can put, take that picture down. I don't like it too much either anymore. So we, uh, we came and we performed his wedding. And it was a beautiful thing. It was a wonderful experience. And Montana was awesome. And then we started making that trek back to Iowa. And we were exhausted, folks. Like, we were so tired. We couldn't get past Bozeman. And uh, so we like, we got to stop. We couldn't even stop to eat. We were so tired. We just hit the KFC drive through brought the bucket of chicken back to the room. And may everybody do that? I, I remember being up at that little ugly desk in the cheap motel room because we were poor at that point in our lives. <laughs> and that's all we could do. And I remember reaching in that bucket of chicken. And here I am in my boxers and my, my shirt. And I'm just ready to lay on the bed and use the... How many of you ever seen... Uh, uh, King of Queens. I love it. You know, Kevin James, he invented the shirt plate. I was ready for it, man. Chicken wing, my plate. You know, I was ready. And I got, some, some of you know what I'm talking Do you know what I'm talking about, Pastor Jim? Uh, all right. Shirt plate, you know. Thank you, buddy. So I'm ready to eat, and I got my chicken, and I turn around, and here's what happens. I saw... I saw my little girl convulsing on the ground. My 18-month baby girl that we had prayed for. Something was not right, and I didn't know what was going on, and I freaked out. And my wife, she was right there with me. And I remember we snagged her up in our arms and we ran out to that cheap motel room, you know, lobby and we're crying out for help and we're saying, somebody help us, somebody help us, call 911, somebody call 911. And we were just crying out for somebody to help. And I remember as we laid little Sarah Grace on the ground and all of a sudden like something horrific happened, she stopped breathing altogether. And we couldn't find a pulse. And we had been trained in CPR. But in that moment, we were just too freaked out. We weren't thinking straight. And we stood there and watched our baby girl literally die before our eyes. What do you do in a moment like that, folks? The scariest, most horrific moment of my life to this day. I can't imagine anything ever changing that. It was awful. And we did the only thing we knew to do, and that was to call out to Jesus. <laughs> and we just started pleading, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I remember, I didn't even have a lot of words. I prayed in tongues, and anything that was in English was just the name of Jesus, pretty much, because I didn't know what to do. And I remember the moment that I ran up to my daughter, and I laid hands on her, and I said, Jesus, bring my baby girl back to me in the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden, <gasps> Thank <laughs> you. 
And she took a breath and she started to cry. And that was the most beautiful sound I've ever heard in my life. And it was that moment that I can say I felt the love of God for me like I've never experienced before. Maybe you've been there in that most desperate time of your life and then God showed up at your greatest point of need. Can I tell you, he still does that to this day. Every time I think of this story and this event in our life, I'm reminded of another guy in the Bible named Jairus. He had a similar situation. His daughter, too, was dying. And he, too, was desperate. And he, too, knew that what he needed more than anything was Jesus to touch his baby girl. And so he went and he sought Jesus out. And the story is found in Mark chapter 5. Starting with verse 22, I want to read a little bit of it to you today. It says, Then a leader from the local synagogue whose name was Jairus arrived. And when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and he pleaded fervently with him, My little girl is dying. Come lay your hands on her so that she can live. And Jesus, in his loving way, said yes. And he went with her. But while they're headed out from amongst the crowd something crazy happened. There was another woman there that needed a touch from Jesus as well. You see, Jairus wasn't the only one who showed up that day seeking a miracle from Jesus. There was a woman there that had this condition where she couldn't stop bleeding. Nobody could seem to help her. Doctors couldn't help her. For 12 years, she struggled with this, and she managed to push her way through the crowd just to touch the hem of Jesus' garment, and that captured Jesus' attention, and Jesus healed her, but Jesus also stopped to take time and talk to the woman. Now, imagine if you're Jairus. What are you doing, Jesus? We got to go. My baby girl's dying. You're trying to be sensitive to somebody else's need, but come on, folks. Jesus, we got to go. And there was an interruption in the middle of what I believe Jairus thought was going to be his miracle. Have you ever had hope rise up in you? You thought God was about to do something only to have something interrupt that? And it's just like, Somebody burst that bubble, the balloon's deflated, you just just sucks the air out of you. I think Jairus had a moment like that when some people showed up with some news. This is what it says. Verse 35, it says, While he was speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher now? I wonder if anybody in this room has felt that way or maybe you feel that way today it seems like what hope you've had is now lost and you're saying why even bother maybe you're just going through the routine and you're just here doing church but there's something deep inside of you and it feels like you know what you've just lost hope the dream is dying and maybe even it's dead maybe you need a touch from God and you're thinking it's too late how many know Jairus just got a report saying it's too late. But can I tell you something? Jesus had something else to say about that. He went on and he said, Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith. Just believe. If you're here today and you think it's too late, Jesus wants to say the same thing to you today. Don't be afraid. 
just have faith. And so Jesus went with Jairus and they showed up on the scene where this little girl of his had passed away. And let me tell you what happened here. Jesus goes inside and he says this. It's found in verse 39. He says, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's just asleep. <laughs> Do you notice Jesus didn't see things the way that everybody else saw it? Everybody else said, oh, little dead girl. You know what Jesus saw? He saw an opportunity for his glory to be revealed. He saw an opportunity for a miracle. Can I tell you something? You are seeing things today from a limited perspective, but your Savior sees things completely different, and he sees what you see as a problem. He sees what you see as too late, as an opportunity for him to show up and show off in your life. He wants to do a miracle in you. And so Jesus, he's so cool. He comes in and the Bible tells us in verse 40 that people were laughing about what he said. And you know what Jesus does? He said, get out of here. <laughs> we do not serve a pansy savior, can I tell you? Our Jesus is a tough dude, man. And you don't mess with him. And he put people out of the room. I love that. And he said, come on, mama and papa. And he brought three of his disciples that he could trust with him people of faith, I believe, that were with him. And they walked up in that room and he laid hands on the girl and he grabbed her by the hand and he said, Talithia Kohn, which means little girl, get up. And it says in that moment, the girl got up and she stood up and she began to walk around and the people were sitting there amazed in awe. They were overwhelmed and amazed at what had happened. Hear me today. Remember what I told you the name of this message is? Still. Our Jesus still wants to overwhelm us today with his love. Our Jesus still wants to show up and show off and amaze us to this day. He wants to do miracles in your life. I'm here to tell you today, the same Jesus that resurrected my Sarah Grace and resurrected Jairus' daughter, he still resurrects the dead today. Aren't you glad for it? I don't know what is going on in your life. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what doubt has creeped in. I don't know what the devil is trying to tell you. Maybe he's there saying it is too late hope is too far gone nothing can ever happen it's not possible i'm here to tell you today all things are possible jesus said if we would just believe he said to jairus just have faith and believe he still is the god of miracles i'm not so sure anybody's hearing me today i just wish i could get it into your spirit i bet pastor lance feels that way sometimes He's standing up here preaching. It's like, if I could just get what's inside of me, inside of them, things would change. I'm here to tell you today, there is hope. Our God is still the same. He still loves us. So, we had our boy. We had our girl. Life seemed to be great. I had the boy and the girl I wanted. She had the foster adoptive children. Boom. Nailed it. Life is good. I mean, God had something to do with it, but life is good. But do you know Paul says that he's able to do more than we could ask or think or imagine? Boy, did he ever. Let me tell you. Some years went by, and over the years, we fostered about 30 children. We've adopted seven of them. All their adoptions were complete right before we came to Iowa or to Montana from Iowa last year. We got a picture of our family on adoption day, virtual adoption day from our back deck. And that's pretty awesome. Every one of our kids has an incredible, miraculous story that, boy, I wish I could share with you. 
So I'm working on a book. Someday you can read about it, maybe. But I'm just here to tell you today, our God is so faithful. He is so faithful. And I know that our life just seemed like it was all pleasant and good at that point. And we have a pretty little picture with all these little smiles. And we pastored churches. And man, we had great relationships with people. Life was good. We made incredible friendships. You know how cool it is to pastor people and see them come to know Jesus and come into your church and see them have children and see their children get saved and to do what we're doing today. One of my favorite things as a pastor was to go down to the lake like we're doing today and publicly baptize people and watch the world watch and celebrate. Y'all should come. And when you come down there and say, I don't know how y'all do it at Hope Church, but I just know how it should be done. And so... <laughs> When those people wake, when, when we bring those people up out of the water today, here's what's going to happen. Y'all need to come and you need to start the celebration. You all need to shout. We all need to rejoice because somebody's declaring their faith in Jesus Christ publicly. And you know what? People around, you know what's going to happen? They're going to rejoice with us. It's going to be crazy. I promise you it's going to happen. There are going to be people in the beach, you know, in their little bikinis and stuff going, Woo! It's going to be awesome. I love being a pastor. Lots of fun times. Lots of really cool things with that. Lots of awesome relationships. We got to do weddings for people. We did vacations with people. We loved on people. We helped walk with them through the most difficult times in their life. We rejoiced when we rejoiced together. We mourned together. We did what the Bible told us to do, and it was awesome. Except it wasn't always awesome. There were times that it was really hard. I'm just going to be real. Can I just be real with you up here today? I hope so. Otherwise, I might not be able to preach again. But I'm just going to keep it real. Ministry can be tough, folks. I'm just going to, I'm just going to, little PSA. Don't judge your pastor. Pray for your pastor. Love his family. They, I love you, man. I love you, MT. I know they go through stuff that nobody else knows about. That's just the way it is. They carry the burdens of the people in the church. They pray for you with heavy hearts. And they have to deal with that heaviness in their own life. And then they have to learn how to somehow flip the switch and not let it weigh them down. That is hard to do, folks. And along the way, we've lost relationships and we've lost friendships and we've had people leave the church and some of our dearest friends are no longer, they don't talk to us anymore. And can I tell you? That hurts. It stings. But I, as a young, stupid pastor, thought I could handle it. I had pride and didn't even know it. This stuff isn't going to weigh me down. I'm okay. My wife would be all upset about it. And I was insensitive. And I was pretty much, baby, you just got to buck up. You know, that's just the way it's going to be. Nothing you can do about it. And I just tried to, you know, just deal and, and have thick skin. I remember even preaching a message about having thick skin. I'm a little bit older now and a little wiser now. And here's what I figured out. It's good to have an element of thick skin, but when you work too hard at having thick skin, what you do is you develop a hard heart. And that's what happened to me. And all the weight of ministry that I thought I was handling well, it was like something just triggered in a, and, and just 
in a moment that I can't explain, it all just flooded in and weighed down my heart, my soul. And I found myself in an incredibly deep, dark place. I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't understand how I got to that place. I didn't know what was going on. But it was awful. Folks, I got to the place where I didn't even want to live anymore. I'm reminded of a guy in the name of Elijah in the Bible. He did all sorts of incredible things for God. I mean, he was used mightily for God. But then when, when he was threatened by a woman at some one point in his life, you know what happened? He went and he found himself under a tree hiding, begging God to take his life. I'd been there. See, I was never going to commit suicide. I love my family too much for that. I didn't want them to deal with that. I didn't want my kids growing up saying my daddy took his own life. But there are many times I asked God to take my life. I was broken, folks. I became a dead man walking. And yet I still had to maneuver through life and ministry. And I was going through the motions. Do you know what God did for Elijah? He sent an angel to come minister to him where he was at and strengthen him. You know what God did for me? He sent a guy from Michigan to Iowa so that we could have a divine run-in and ended up we eating wings together at Buffalo Wild Wings. Just so happened he was in ministry for a long time. And he started recognizing some things in me from conversation. And he encouraged me to get help and I got help. I suffered a severe clinical depression for over three years. Went and saw a doctor, got medicine. I hope somebody hears me today. Go get help if you need help. Don't be ashamed. Don't have too much pride. Take advantage of the resources that God has put out there. And I got on antidepressants and it helped me, folks. I wasn't whole, but I was getting better. It helped me as I was getting better. And I started seeing a counselor. I was awful to live with. My marriage was falling apart. We were hanging on by a thread. And yet in the midst of this, I was still trying to pastor a church. Not because I didn't want to. Honestly, I didn't want to anymore. But it was my full-time income. I'm just being real. And I had a family to take care of, and I didn't know what else to do. So I got up week after week, and I went through the motions. And under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, I was able to function. And God did great things in our church, and it thrived. And people didn't know what was going on inside of me. I would go hide out in my office and I'd shut the lights off after church and I'd go in my closet and I'd sit on a stool in the absolute dark and hide from everybody until I heard no no more noise in the church and then I'd come out and go home. It was a terrible place to be. Folks, I was dead inside. And I started wondering, will I ever feel again? Because I was numb. Will I ever sense the presence of God again? I would come to church and I didn't feel emotion anymore. And I remember there were times that I 
this grown man desperately wanted to just feel a tear come down my cheek because I wondered what was wrong with me, God. What's going on? I don't feel you anymore. I don't sense your presence. But I want to tell you something. God did a restoration work in me. I ended up telling our leadership and my wife and I got help. I stood up in front of my church and just got real with them and said, folks, your pastor is not okay. Tracy and I aren't okay. And, and, and we can step down if you want us to. But here's what I hope you'll do. Will you pray for us? And folks, the body of Christ is such a beautiful thing when it operates the way it should. And you know what didn't happen in that church that day? Nobody picked up a stone and threw it at us. You know what they did? They embraced us and they loved us and they put their hands on us and they prayed with us. And they said, we want you to be our pastor and we want you and Tracy to work out and we want to see God heal and we want to be a part of that process. And they walked it out with us. It was so beautiful. And God healed me. He's restored my soul. He's put new life in me. And sometimes we find ourselves wondering why we're here. Why in Montana? Montana was never on our radar. I don't think anybody from Iowa has Montana on their radar. But I believe we're here because God is completing a work he started in us. Because the same God that starts a work, he still completes it. Aren't you glad for it? See, I'm over the depression. About three months ago, I was able to get off my depression meds. Hallelujah. We're getting well. Life is good. I brought my own Kleenex because I can't even come to church without crying anymore. It's just the truth. I mean, every Sunday, I sit right up here in this corner when pastors preach. And the rest of the time, I can't sit because I can't help but stand and dance and shout and praise and let God do something to me. And you know what I love about it? I can come to Montana where nobody knew me until today. Doggone it. And I could just be alone with God and let him do what he wanted to do in me and not care what anybody thought. And I'll still walk out here and not really care what you think. Because God is doing a good work in me. He's resurrected me. I've discovered that he can truly bring the dead to life again. Aren't you glad for it? The same God that resurrected my daughter, that resurrected Jairus' daughter, that brought life to our dreams and brought life to this dead man. He's still God to this day. And he's a God of power. He's a God of miracles. He's a God who resurrects dead dreams, restores marriages, heals hearts. Aren't you glad for it today? Oh, man. I hope that speaks hope to you today. One word for you today. Despite what you're feeling, despite what you're going through, despite the lies the devil is telling you, I'm here to tell you today. What you need is still Jesus. Jesus is still. He's still whatever you need him to be in your life. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love.
Jesus, I thank you for your incredible goodness. Lord, I thank you for your presence in this place today. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Hope Church. If you enjoyed this message, you can easily support the ministry of Hope Church at hopechurchmt.com give. Also follow us on social media at hopechurchmt. Be blessed and have a great week.